There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. to the Inspired Evolution and it is such a treat to be here today because we have the vibes from Ria Lala. Ria, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> it is such a gift to have you here today. For those tuning in to Ria for the first time, right? So Ria is a certified EQ specialist, emotional quotient specialist. I can't wait for this conversation. Um, she's an educational consultant, conscious parenting coach. We're definitely going to dive into more about that. And she invented the Susie Q doll for emotional learning. Um, for over 24, 20 years, she's designed and delivered EQ programs to Fortune 500 companies, the UN, Children's Aid, private and public schools, and she works with parents now on how to optimize relationships and communicate in ways which inspire learning and rapport. Man, I, I am thrilled to have you here. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I think I was reflecting this to you just prior, uh, just a moment ago because um, when uh, there's something really... Um, I guess magnetic about someone that is really like living the life that they love to live. Um, And I remember just how much, like just, you know, just when we were talking, um, there was, there was like, I almost forgot to like breathe while I was listening to you because I was just, I was just like in so engaged by not only what you were sharing, but how you were sharing about like, the emotional side of things, but also how kids and parents and how that all interwove together. And so your passion for your work really like really inspires me. Um, and so thank you so much for being here today. And I'd love to learn where that all, where that all started, where that all came from. Gosh, well, really it started in my childhood because I grew up in a very unconventional household. I grew up with a dad 
who is kind of nuts. He believes, let the children write on the walls because walls can be painted, but we can never recapture a child's creativity. So, but there was, yeah. So he was a, he was awesome. Uh, But my parents asked us really interesting questions from as far back as I can remember. Like, I think my earliest memory is around five, six. And uh, they were always very like going deep down the rabbit hole of um, perspective taking and self-awareness. So I'm going to give you an example. We might be at a park or we might be at a donut shop or something. And my dad would ask us to look around and we'd find different faces of grown-ups or children. And he'd ask, what was that child feeling right now? Um, why do you think that child is crying right now? Why do you think that lady has that face on right now? And so, of course, we'd have to make something up because we haven't spoken to them. We just have to read the cues of what's going on. But something really interesting happens when you do that repeatedly from very young, or even repeatedly, even right now in your life. What happens is you start getting, first of all, very clued in to the very subtlety of communication and the nuances in the cues that people have in their face. That's one. But two, when you're asked to make up a story as to why that child is crying, you can come up with something. You can come up with an answer. Oh, she's sad because she didn't get the donut she wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you continue and you get pushed, okay, that's a good idea, but what else could it be? Then you start accumulating a variety of reasons as to why somebody is behaving or responding and or communicating in a particular way. And what you learn is not to get attached to any one way of thinking. So mm-hmm. sometimes we can create very... Um, disempowering beliefs, like somebody looked at us funny and we think they don't like us and we come up with a conclusion and then now all of a sudden, you know, that trips us up. But Mm -hmm. if we recognize that there are a myriad of reasons why somebody might be responding a particular way, and then because we might not know the the truth, if we know the person, we can go and ask. But if we don't, we're left with our imagination because perspective taking is a game of imagination. Then we can choose out of the five, ten things you've come up with, what is the one that allows us to see the world as safe and abundant and beautiful? And then choose that from the from all of the ones that we put out there. So that is something that... Uh, my, my parents did with all of us and it's no wonder that we all do something in the world of coaching. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. What a gift for having that nurturing. And as what's dropping in for me as you're sharing that is obviously um, that, that deeper, deep awareness um, and then having such amazing like role models in the space of parenting for yourself and then now guiding people on the support of parenting as well. Um, is that, is that always a no brainer going into parenting? Cause I know you worked with, no. with um, yeah. Cause you worked with um, some really amazing corporate companies for quite some time, right? Yeah. So no, I started off in the corporate world, uh, mm. I, I, but I've always been in the world of emotional intelligence. So it was, it was working with execs and senior management on how to optimize relationships, how to read the conversation under the conversation, how to be likable, mm. how if they're trying to get um, the client to engage with them, what do they need to do? And uh, that was something that just came really easy to me. And then uh, I did that for about 10 years. And then mm. my husband and I decided to do something radically different. And we went down to the Caribbean and we, we built an apartment building out of shipping containers. <laughs> you believe it. Yeah, it was completely different. But after that, I really had an opportunity to think about what is it that I love to do? And it was just before, uh, it was before my son was born. And I read a book and it really was a paradigm shift. Um, mm. It was called... Uh, the Continuum Concept. And that book essentially debunked myths that I think a lot of us in the West 
believe as a truth. We just accept as a truth. And the essence of it is a woman who went to different indigenous societies and watched how they rear their children. So like in the depths of the the forest of Papua New Guinea, what are they doing when they rear their children? And the the epiphanies that came from that were were huge. And as uh, as a you know, soon to be mother, I decided to move into, I still do corporate, but I decided to move also into the parenting niche because I felt that the parenting dynamic is absolutely the most fascinating, most Mm. fascinating because so much of who we become, we know that the brain's plastic. Yeah. Yeah. We know that the brain can change, Mm. but so much of, of how we see the world, uh, how safe we, how we respond to the world, how we feel about ourselves is um, intrinsically ma- determined in those first five to 10 years. Yeah. It's almost like that's where the neural network is being laid. And mm, it's, it's just a really interesting time to explore because often when parents, it's not just about the kids and how the parent relates to the kids, but really how the parents own neuroses and pathologies and uh, um, fears yeah. come into play in their own in when they parent their own children it's fascinating isn't it i um i remember this uh this older uh, i think it's hebrew um and they say you know if you give me the child up until seven i can tell you the man that you have um and that's like ancient wisdom and uh i really i've been fascinated by um just by by healing actually a lot these days because you know a lot of the traumas that we we lock into our body i oftentimes um you know through hypnosis and stuff you go back into these processes and it's like oh that was between like it's always between the ages of like seven and like we you know it's always back there that something happened you know and I was like why why is it always back there and um it's been my fascination of mine so I went and did some research and what I've come to find is that you know those alpha beta delta wave states that we're in um delta is like the the hypnosis state that we spend most of our time in getting hypnotized actually where where the species that is born most premature because we'd otherwise kill our mothers and so when we come out we're still spending a lot of time most of our time actually instead of the beta which we do as adults in delta and we're actually like consistently being hypnotized by our environment, which is understandable because like mm-hmm. there is so much coming in. How do you process that better to just be in like a meditative state in the, of the observer, right? Um, but how much drops in into your subconscious in those formative years and how absolutely. Is, is fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and also, uh, you know, imagine a two-year-old child who observes another child able to do a roly-poly, but they can't do a roly-poly. So that child doesn't know that what they might be feeling is a sense of, I don't know, jealousy. Yeah. So imagine for us as grown-ups feeling jealousy. It doesn't feel good, does it? Right. It feels very, so for a child, it feels terrifying, just like an ick in their body. And what happens is children, when they have emotions, and Daniel Goldman talks a lot about this, he says when a child has an emotion, but they don't have a word for it or able to make sense, what they start to do is they disassociate from the feeling. And they disassociate from the feeling, and entire spectrums of emotion can be wiped out from their emotional landscape simply because they didn't know how to integrate it. They didn't have a name for it, and they didn't know how to have the ability to integrate and process through it. So what happens is they go, they grow up to be very fragmented and it hasn't been, which is why, you know, it doesn't happen in a vacuum that when people see blood and then they start to scream or they see a spider and they start to scream, there's usually always something that you can trace it back to, as you rightfully say. Mm. But that's why it's so important at a very young age to help children um, understand their emotional space and give them language. I mean, uh, people might think that, why would we introduce the idea of jealousy? In fact, we have to then confront that a parent's own uncomfortability 
with even marginalizing it, a wonderful emotion like jealousy, which teaches us so much, a wonderful emotion like anger. There, there, that's what we do. Tap, tap, tap. Don't feel angry. Don't feel sad. Tap, tap. Don't feel jealous. You're going to have a party next week. And the child learns there's good emotions and there's bad emotions. Yeah. And then they start expressing or they don't have the word or the language for it. And then it never gets a chance to integrate into them. So this is, this is the mission that I'm on is to see that every emotion is, is a gift from beyond. And our job is to be an archaeologist and to dig to the bones of that and to ask really interesting questions so you can find out the epiphany or the gem when instead of living in our disembodied state where we're constantly swiping right, actually feel, be still long enough to feel the emotion, yeah? Without trying to take a selfie. Mm. And, and then in that moment, um, notice where it is in your body. Like, I mean, feelings are psychosomatic. So often what we get trapped in is a left brain. Why did she say that? And if she didn't say that, then I wouldn't think this. And we just run the story and now we're in a cognitive mm. loop, right? So instead, find a way to go into your body and feel it. But again, feeling has become something that's terror-filled if you, if you don't understand what the feeling is. It's you will do anything. You will kick and scream to not feel, which is why we find it so hard to be still. Why it's so hard to be in our bodies because to, to be in your body is to feel. I mean, a human being is a human feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah? We're meant to feel. And how do you feel? I can't crack open your head, Amrit, and, mm-hmm. and find anger. There's anger right there in this quadrant. Yeah. Right? Anger is in my physiology. If I was a doctor, I would check your blood pressure. I'd check your cortisol levels. I would check your adrenaline levels. I would check to see where the blood has flown. And then mm-hmm. I would go, oh, you have the physiology of anger. Yeah. So. These are things that I think um, is fascinating, and I think that emotions have been ignored far too long. Uh, and this is our opportunity now to, especially, to, to do a deep dive into the places that we may have been afraid to go. So there's a, there's a couple of things that are coming up for me. And uh, firstly, I really want to acknowledge what you're sharing. Thank you so much for sharing, because a big part of, I've been on this journey of um, meditating, um, how long has it been? It's been more than six, seven years now. Um, but the last, there was this, there was a seismic shift, um, in my relationship with my meditation, a couple of them. First of when I, I remember when I first started, it was like, how do we turn this thing off? <laughs> it was like, it's not about turning it off, right? It's, it's, it's just about just observing, you know? Um, yeah. and a lot of the time, and then the next big epiphany on the back of what you were sharing was, um, was like, you know, when I was sitting there observing, I would, consciously try to disengage from negative patterns and consciously try and stay engaged with positive that patterns. Um, And those, those patterns emerged in in the sense of feeling because, you know, once the mind started to quieten down, it was all just sensation, like you said, from the body, like, you know, something would emerge and be like, Oh, okay, that's not pleasant. Let's, let's try and breathe that one out, you know, and let's try and breathe something positive in. Um, And over time, the, the, just to sit with it, to give myself the permission just to sit um, and it's, it's totally human. It's totally okay to feel shame. You know, it's totally okay to feel anger, to feel rage. Um, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, it's actually, and the irony of it, which I'm sure you can probably talk to is the, the more I sit with it, I give it that sharp focus of attention to just give it its space that it really needs and the acknowledgement and the space that it requires. And just to sit with it, the faster it transmutes. It's, it's almost like it always needs that amount of attention from you. And if you can just stop and meditate into it and give it its space and go, look, okay, anger, I'm angry. I'm going to stop and I'm going to give you all of my attention. 
where are you in my body? How do you feel? What colors come up? What is the texture? Is there a taste in my mouth? Is there something particular that I smell? And after I start going on that exercise, it's like, oh, it's, it started to move already. <laughs> like now, now I'm curious. I want to know more about it. And it's already started to move. <laughs> it, that is so beautiful what you've articulated. And that's, that I believe is the work, right? I, you know, it's, you can't get to the light. You can't get to the light till you go through the dark. Hmm. And to have a, um, to almost have your lawyer's cap on and argue on behalf, because these emotions have, um, have been uh, designed to serve you and they're sitting there. It's, it's almost good to actually caricature the emotion that it's sitting there going, I've served you well, jealousy, like jealousy has served you well. And if you can argue on behalf of it or argue on behalf of your shame and your anger, and then you can almost, um, that helps you create a little bit of distance from it. And then you realize that he's all they want to do is for you to acknowledge them and see them. And so they can give you whatever epiphany that is mm. as you, as you're already on that journey. But that, uh, that does take courage. So I salute uh, the work that it takes to stay with it, you know? Um, but I love it. You can fetishize that. You can actually start to fetishize with that. One of the questions I love to ask uh, as I'm going through that somatic experiencing journey is I find a vision in, um, of my little girl mm. uh, and I ask, what is it that you need right now? And in that moment, whatever she says, I, if, if ever there's a God, that's God speaking to me. And then my journey, my job is to now assure that little girl that I'm going to make this the most important work of my life. Yeah. Cause she'll always give you something or he will always give you something. Mm. And what is it that she, and, um, and then I get busy doing it. And that is the act of reparenting yourself because mommy and daddy may not be able to swoop in and say whatever it is you need to hear for you to feel good. Mm. But this is what I think, especially in the parenting journey is all the, um, all the places that our mommy and daddy never came and healed whatever paper cut, no matter how much they loved us, they could love us life and limb. But uh, you know, even the most well-meaning parents will sometimes will miss the mark. And then we code that as a moment of, whatever sadness or shame or whatever and the thing is and i think this is what i find extremely fascinating especially when i'm coaching parents is parents will always do better than what their parents did and that's the natural state of things they like hopefully hopefully we're always moving incrementally onwards and upwards but there is something that's very interesting where a parent no matter how much they want to do well for their children and this all happens unconsciously that they go i didn't get it Nobody came to me when I had my boo-boos and asked me intricate questions about my heartache and how do I feel about that? And then they go, I didn't get that. Therefore, you're not going to get that. Mm. Right? And uh, again, no parent is sitting there drumming their fingers going, ha, ha, ha. These are conscious parents, but it happens. Yeah. And then, so unless they go back, it's almost like unless their little girl, little boy gets healed, yeah? Um, or you shed some light on whatever was going on with them, it's going to be very, very difficult because now it's a visceral understanding of what they need to do in order to show up in the way they want, that their child wants them to show up. Oh, that's amazing. I can, uh, what's coming up for me is like really healing the relationship with oneself and like giving yourself what you need fundamentally and, and, uh, and that more wholesome way of being like is a more wholesome way to then ex- exchange your interactions with your children from. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, fascinating. Uh, makes a lot of sense when you put it that way. But I'm aware that when you're talking about emotional work, it's like it's a lot of it, there's a lot of layers, and I can I can understand why there's resistance for people to go into that because it's, well, it's easy. It's easier to think it's the child, right? Yeah. Oh, the child's not listening. The child doesn't. Uh, the, the, you know, the child just wants to fight. The child's having a tantrum, and I think a more interesting question, uh, at least as we're, but I mean, this applies uh, well past parents. And that is, once you're calm and not triggered or in your ego, when you see a behavior or a situation you, you don't like, whether you're a parent or whether you're not. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I think the more interesting question before you start running a loop about why they did that is what is it about me that created that? And that is the money question. That's the ninja question to ask. I love your ninja question. If I may share something with you, um, do do you familiar with um, like just what a solopsist is by any chance? I've, no, I can't yeah. remember, but okay. that, that name sounds So familiar. basically a solopsis is someone that thinks that they're the center of the universe. And as okay. just a thought model, um, mm-hmm. and I by no means adhere to this, <laughs> I'm aware that you exist. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I, I often tap into just like run a thought model in my head that, you know, I'm the solipsist and I am just the universe projecting. And then from that place, I know it's psychotic, but at some level it gives me a massive amount of empowerment going, okay, the sequence of events that just ran through my field like why why and how was like what was my part in all of that basically yeah you know and it gives me massive massive room for improvement and massive room for empowerment as well you know it's like okay so maybe this is something I could have articulated better or something like you know I could have shown up this way or maybe if I was sitting in a different position in the room and the person could have seen my face when I was saying what I was saying it could have impacted um, the situation differently Um, and I'm going to use that as a bit of a segue to sort of um, talk about nonverbal communication because like that's where most of it happens, right? Oh, it's in the slightest eyebrow tweak. It's in the slightest lip curl that the entire message gets changed, right? Mm-hmm. So nonverbal communication is everything from the intonation in our voice to our gestures to our facial expressions, everything that we're doing with our body. And uh, 85% of how we communicate is nonverbally. That's why when you go to a party and you go, I don't know, I don't really feel close to that person, um, you're picking up on cues. And we've, we've evolved that way. So how do you become aware of what it is that you're putting out into the space, right? Because mm-hmm. this is about your own self-awareness. Of course. So w- one of the things is 
Now, bearing in mind, a lot of what we do is in our own blind spots. So uh, if, if much of what we're doing is in our own blind spots, you have to fetishize feedback. I am relentless about and, and also teaching my kids um, to ask for feedback. And so if you go to, I don't think there's a friend that's close to me that I haven't come and asked that question to or anyone that I work with. My husband, we have, that's a continuous thing that we do. Um, definitely every three months where we do like a, a gauge of how the relationship is. And I asked my kids ever since they were probably four years old, have asked them for feedback on how I'm doing. Wow. And, um, and then you can get, you, you can choose. I mean, it's, you can choose to take on what they're going to say, but I always like to pretend that everything they say has truth in it. Yeah. I feel that's my, it's much more useful to have that framing. And so then I sit with it and then I, and I take it on. And I think that if ever you want to get like really roll with your sleeves and get busy about doing transformational work, I think that it is the ultimate question you can ever ask somebody by creating the safe space for them. Because most people want to protect you. Even your children see you as a god and a goddess and they will want to protect you. So the only thing you can do is create the safest, most loving space where they really understand that you, um, you're really interested in being the best friend you can be. And I want to understand anything that holds me back from connection. And I would love, you don't understand what a gift this would be for me. Can you just share something, one or two things that can allow me, maybe I interrupt some too much. Maybe I'm, you know, and then you take that and then you thank them afterwards. And then you go back and you sit with it. And I found that to be very useful. So as far as nonverbal cues, I always think back to my husband and I remember he, he's wonderful, but we were at a, we were at a party and he was speaking to a girlfriend of mine who was just larger than life. And I saw him from across the room. And then later on, I asked him, I go, uh, were you having a good time speaking with Vanessa? And he was like, yeah, it was great. But his entire face, nothing about his face <laughs> showed that. Yeah. And so I, I don't know, maybe he was nervous. She's a beautiful girl. I don't know what was going on. But I realized that not many people may be aware of what their face is doing, right? Mm, so. I think one thing that's really helpful, even if you have children or even for a, a grown up to, to think about is when we think of eye contact, I can give somebody eye contact, mm. but have dead spider eyes, right? Yeah. So sometimes creating a imagery of what are exactly are you doing with your eyes when you're creating eye contact? So for example, at, at my MVU, we were talking about with the kids, um, you know, is it, you're smiling with your eyes. You're, tra you're tr transmitting something. What is it that you want to transmit? You know, we talked about shooting rainbows with the eyes. I mean, whatever yeah. imagery you want to use that allows you to actually embody something, feel yeah. something, and from that authentic place go, hello, human, I see mm. you. I want to connect with you, right? Yeah. But, you know, in traditional emotional training, it's like, well, eye contact. Eye contact's good. Mm. Not really kind of deconstructing what is it that we're really trying to create. And again, that has to come from someplace authentic inside of you. Yeah, amazing. Um, as you're sharing about eye contact and uh, and just the nonverbal stuff, like there's this massive thing that's dropping in. When I remember when I first moved to Melbourne five years ago, um, this fascinating thing, just I moved from a, a smaller city, um, Adelaide to Melbourne. Okay. And uh, in Adelaide, everybody kind of knows each other. You know, it's just one of those places. Um, when I moved here to Melbourne, there's more suits, everybody. And like the energy, like especially in winter is a bit glum because it's a very dark city. Weather is very unpredictable. And so everybody's heads down. Mm. and uh and like just the, the 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 norm is just like a like a non-smiling stature face 
And so I'd walk out of work and I'd intentionally like, I'd make it a game to try and see like how many people can I catch their eye contact? And I'd just be smiling the whole, I didn't have long to walk admittedly. It was only like a kilometer, right? But I'd, I'd smile and I'd try and see how many people would like engage. And it was, and just to observe how uncomfortable it would make people feel. Alert from system UI server. Someone smiling was um, <laughs> just how. Um, Sorry about that. You're good. My computer talks to me. One minute. Sorry. Half the time it scares me half to death. Sorry. It's just feedback. <laughs> I don't know how to turn it off. That's the worst part. And then sometimes I just jump out of my skin. Yeah. So everybody's head is down. Yeah. And they're not. Like when you're trying, down. like I was just like trying to cultivate just eye contact and I like I like smiling. You know, just like yeah. getting conscious of like where, where my state was at because I noticed if I didn't pay too much attention to how I was walking back home from work, I noticed I would drop into the same patterns as everybody else. I would literally just head down glum and just walk home that way. And I was like, but that doesn't feel right to me. Like, and I, I kind of caught it early from just having moved from Adelaide. So that was a really nice like pocket of opportunity for me to go, ah, this is not my natural state. Like back home, I was like this. And then I was like, I wonder if I can create a shift just for myself and how that would feel. And obviously I had to go through the awkwardness of like being the smiley guy walking down the street, smiling, trying to make eye contact with everyone and no one would catch my eye. Um, And then going through the process of when someone did catch my eye, then realizing that my awkwardness of like having to hold this space and me slightly getting more comfortable with it is now like creating a whole thing over there for someone else, which is they're just realizing that they've been heads down and glum as well. And it's, yeah, the nonverbal communication just completely blows me away. You know, it's just like how we hold our posture in any given moment reflects where our thoughts are at. Um, one of my favorite exercises that I love doing is like if you're looking like upwards above 30 degrees at an angle, it's much more difficult to have a negative thought than it is if you're looking downwards, you know, and it's like, what do you mean? Like, why does that happen? <laughs> It's incredible. I, I have I have a, a, such a similar experience, but I was in the tubes of uh, London, and I remember that I was just so happy to be there. And I, I in almost every situation that I encountered was I've got this big goofy smile on my face, and I see somebody standing there, and I'd smile at them and I'd connect with them, and I knew exactly what was going to happen. They turned their head away, but then it's almost like, oh wait a second, human smiling at me. I want to smile back at human, and I'd be waiting there. So they can give me back the gift. And then you're right. It's a whole ripple effect that takes place. But it's, it's amazing. But, but, the, but the bigger thing that I took from that, and as I was going through this, you know, this experience, is people are afraid of connection. They're afraid to meet eye contact. They're afraid to walk around and smile and, and, and be courageous enough to give that. Yeah? And so this is, this is the opportunity for somebody has to lead that. Somebody has to find the courage to lead that connection. And uh, personally, I mean, I, I've wonderful things happen. I haven't really been disappointed where I've led the connection. And even in the moment, if they didn't smile back and we all of a sudden feel like a little pang on our heart, then again, it goes back to perspective taking what story do we create? Well, yeah, they're just not a nice person. Sure. But there's other stories that we can pull from and we choose the one that sees the world as beautiful because that's realistic. Yeah. Mm. Right. Always choose the one that allows you to see the world's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I am. Um, yeah. The, the fear of connection is an interesting one because I've, um, 
I, I openly advertise that my highest value is connection. Um, and so for me, that's like a, like a massive thing that like I try and connect as deeply and as richly again and again as possible. And I find like connecting with the self, connecting with source, connecting with people is like just the mission, you know, for me. Um, but I never really stopped to think that there is a fear, um, in people to connect, but it makes so much sense when you articulate it that way. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, well, I mean, the saying, all the cliches are true. Uh, the eyes are the windows of the soul to have the courage to meet eye to eye with somebody and hold, hold it. Yeah. Because sometimes we go, okay, we can do it for half of a second, but then we're quick to look away. Yeah. But now, I mean, this is, this is now, a an exercise. Like I love, I love the exercise that you just found yourself in for moving from Adelaide to, to Melbourne. But this is something that we can make as part of our conscious interactions, right? Just like you did is um, how do I connect with a human walking down the street and not only look up at your 30 degrees, but hold the connection and, and stay with it and, and not get attached to what I might get back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That really, that this is, that I get to feel a sense of magnificence as I'm giving out something beautiful into the world. And that's the gift. That's, that's, that's something that I get to offer without any want or desire. It's nice. I mean, it's nice to get the smile back. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but you don't have to make that your end game. I'm going to ask something slightly prickly and I'm not even sure how I'm got like how I'm going to articulate this, but I hope it comes out correctly um so the question is you know there is so much self-awareness that you can bring to yourself in um like non-verbal communication your communication how you're holding yourself all this that and the other that at one at some point perhaps somebody listening may find it that it's overwhelming you know there's too much to think about about how you're showing up you know it's like and then it's like more of a struggle to just be because you're like now thinking about, wait, am I standing tall? Am I standing confident? Am I happy? Am I, what are my eyes engaging? What story is my face telling? There may be too many pieces to work on. So do you have any advice for someone in that space? So you're right. Um, if you try and, uh, if you got, so the way, getting back to the example of shooting sunbeams or finding that authentic place and then connecting with making eye contact with somebody. Uh, If I'm thinking I really want to show up as connected and therefore I want to make sure I have good eye contact and I'm too much in my left brain. Mm. So in that moment, it's better you, um, you go into your body and find the sensations in your body and sit with it and recognize, breathe through it, recognize whatever's coming up for you. Yeah. Um, Whatever stories you're making up in this morning, whatever it is your little girl or your little boy needs. And from that place, you know, whatever you have to do to raise your vibration, like I think that is useful, but trying to be aware of what's my face saying. I think that your face is always going to convey what it needs to convey if it's if what you're sourcing is something authentic and beautiful from inside. So I would I would resist trying to. Um, I mean, by the way, I mean nonverbal cues is just one component of EQ, right? Mm. But I would resist trying to break it down into the sum of the parts and trying to figure out how what's my body language. That's going to come naturally based on what's happening from within. 
So if you don't know what's happening in within and you feel that you're running, like you're nervous and you're, um, there's different emotions, it's better you go in and you sit with those emotions and just kind of take a moment to process them and to integrate them a bit. And then, you know, there's, I don't think I ever consciously think about my eye contact. What I think about is how do I um, source joy inside of me? Yeah. Mm. And I know that my face is going to, shine that out so you were just we were just talking about um the best place to to not get overwhelmed with all the different non-verbal and communication cues that all exist um the best way to drop into is just find an authentic place within yourself um and just you know just just to communicate from that space and that sort of allows you to surrender um all the the cognition i guess <laughs> that flows in behind um the potential of like you know oh am i doing this right am i holding my body posture right am i looking right yeah because the minute we start to do that we are out of our authentic place because we're not in we're in our left brain and we're thinking and analyzing and uh that is taking us out of being present in the moment yeah, yeah. so Building authenticity and being present in the moment is really about, um, well, I'll, I'll tell you some of the hat, some of the things I use. So besides actually, um, like if I know that I'm going to be around people, I want to make sure that I'm in a good mental, emotional state. Yeah. So I will do things that help, you know, raise my vibration. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm tend to be like a high energy person anyway, so it doesn't really take much. Yeah. Uh, uh, I love this is something that I've learned a while back, but I love it. And um, when you're speaking to somebody and it doesn't really take more than this, I feel. And that when you're communicating to them, have your being and your eyes be saying, I love you. Yeah. <sighs> and um, if you in that moment say to yourself, I love you, there's something about the way you shift your body, the way your facial expressions move. It's a very, very simple thing, but I find that instantly my heart softens. Instantly I'm feeling like really grounded and connected and everything slips away because I'm just thinking, I want to I, I connect with you, human. I love you. And uh, that's something that's always worked for me. That feels so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah. There's a... There's a whole, there's a massive thing that you just shared in there about presence and authenticity. Um, but I, I really, the thing that's really dropping in for me to ask a question about um, is getting a bit meta for a second. You know, I'm sitting here talking to someone um, that's, you know, uh, admittedly, um, you know, EQ um, is the work that you do, but we've spent so much time talking about communication. So uh, just like how interesting for <laughs> just in this conversation at this point, it is for me that, you know, emotional, like all your emotional stuff, how interrelated that is to the communication of one with oneself, with the world and how it's all like emotions and communication, just the dance there. If we can have a chat about that. <laughs> yeah. So basically I feel that emotions is running the game for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emotions determine whether a kid puts their hand up in class. Emotions determine whether we take the chance and take the risk. Emotions determine, our feelings determine whether we ask the girl out. It determines who we choose as our life partners and who we keep in our life. Um, Every one of our fears, not good enough conversations, our resilience, our focus, everything has its root, Mm. has its root in 
um, our emotional state. Yeah? yeah. So being able to, what is emotional intelligence? One is our self-awareness, how well we can understand that we're feeling an emotion and whether we're stuck in it. Yeah. yeah. Because we get stuck all the time and it holds us back from connection. Uh, the next one is um, our ability to take perspectives, which again is an act of imagination, how well we can see the world from someone else's point of view. So we don't get just mired down in our own narrow way of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. And our self-regulation, which is really um, how well when we're stuck in a fear or jealousy or loneliness or depression or anger, how well can we move out of it? Yeah. And um, so can we calm our nervous system down so that we don't get stuck? And I'll tell you a little interesting thing about that. Uh, there's so much emphasis often put on self-regulation. Do you have the ability? I, I mean, people that are in the world of EQ, do you have the ability to self-regulate? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very important. But us as humans we weren't designed to self-regulate. We are social creatures. I was designed to co-regulate. And I like to use the imagery of a spinning planet. I'm a spinning planet and anyone who comes in my orbit, because we know emotions are contagious, um, is going to be affected by my spin. So the most important thing for us to ever do is before we go to tend to anybody else, whether somebody's hurt or they're in an accident or a child is crying, is to focus on this, yeah? to calm our nervous system before we tend to anybody else. Because if ever we're going to be able to take somebody off a ledge, it's because we've done that work. Mm. Wow. makes a lot of sense. It's, it's the same, the apply safety mask to yourself first before attending to, to others. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, so yeah, I, I love, I'm just in awe of how this conversation has just gone in terms of like, it's been really, really profound for me and the like you know the emotional work is literally just about my relationship and my communication and my self-awareness and then also that perspective with other people and like the underlying current is um is connection um which which is so it makes so much sense when you say it but it's 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 a massive drop in it's a massive drop in so thank you so much for sharing that um there is something that um we were speaking about previously um which i would love to just riff with you on um is the idea of emotions and labels um i know you said that being like as a kid um it's useful in that in that formative period to actually um help identify um what emotions are and what's coming up yeah um i bring this in just because um i guess i've i've just been traveling a little bit um actually i love to travel it's like my number one yeah. thing uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh i've uh, i've a chance to cross some um some cherokee um indians and they they prefer not to label stuff um and their yeah. perspective on this was if we start labeling things it actually makes the energy stick a lot harder um, mm. because you know they don't have words for gratitude and they don't have words for sorry you know mm. it's it's and i read into this um slightly differently i guess for me it's like okay you may not verbally say thank you you may not verbally say sorry but it's about your nonverbal communication as of that point because it's like okay instead of expressing gratitude for the loaf of bread you gave me you know i will take the loaf of bread honor you know the gift that you've given me consume it wisely and then make sure that the energy that i receive from that i'm putting back into the world in a really positive way um but it fascinates me you know just this this way of um potentially shedding labels um has been a really interesting meditation for me you know it's like cuz the number of times like 
as you've probably already like, cause we've, we've, we've had to take this up and just like the gratitude, like factor is such a massive thing for me. I'm always yeah. like, thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. You know, like it's just who I am. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to notice that like a culture that doesn't express gratitude, what their philosophy is behind it. And it's, it's it fascinates me deeply. And I know you've done some work with like, especially parenting and tribes as well. And just to marvel at the different cultures. So uh, I find that really interesting too. Uh, and you're right. It's, uh, you know, if I couldn't say the word thank you and show some overt way of showing gratitude, right? Then what mm. else is there? Like now we have to get really creative and inventive, right? Yeah. On how we just, what is the energy that we're bringing to the space beyond words, mm. right? And so I think that's really beautiful. Uh, the reason why I, so I, I, I think that is actually a useful thing for all of us to take on and to explore, mm. right? Having said that, uh, the reason why I think it's important for children to learn emotional language yeah, yep. is because us as humans are, we, we, we are meaning makers and we are storytellers and we will choose stories and meanings that are very disempowering at times. Yeah. Um, and, and when we understand, like it's, um, when we understand what we're feeling and I can now express it to somebody else then it can help in the dialogue that's happening and the communication between a parent and child so they can understand what they're feeling. Um, or if the child doesn't have a word or language for it, the parent can use their intuition and their own, um, you know, attunement to read the cues to now help and um, help the child express. But if the child has no way to express what they're feeling, so they, they're, they're feeling something inside of them and the, you know, actually, it's interesting because if the child could still get to the place in their body where they're feeling something and they can get into the texture, the movement, the shape to actually process and integrate the feeling, um, that actually could be, I mean, that's actually the work so that it doesn't hijack, <coughs> get stuck, right? Yep. However, uh, I think for parents who, depending on how savvy and sophisticated they are in the emotional realm, a child having the ability to communicate that. So I, I believe, I do believe that in that, in the, is it the Cherokee Indians? Who were you spending time with? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the whole dynamic is as the child is growing up and having different experiences and then wanting to relay those experiences. And maybe there's somebody who can, you know, do something that they can't. And I mean, how do they begin to express that? Mm. I don't know. Maybe that they, maybe there's, I would be interested in exploring that a bit more, mm. but for at this point, I I've seen what happens when a child can't express. They are now they feel they actually get stuck, yeah. And the parents can't understand. And not only that, but even if the parent did understand, uh, they they themselves have hierarchied and marginalized feelings within them. So until they start to understand and, and really um, integrate, I mean, Dan Siegel, who's a neuroscientist, uh, Daniel Goleman, when he talks about um, being able to name emotions, let's put it this way. If I'm feeling hijacked by an emotion like anger, mm. the minute I'm even able to name it, it takes me out of my amygdala hijack into my higher thinking brain. Yeah, you get meta. Yeah, just to do that process. So that can be very useful for somebody moving out of their, from being stuck to being able to express and then no longer being in tantrum mode, however that comes, whether it's 
a suppress or repress tantrum or whether it's an overt tantrum. Yeah. Uh, that is something. So I, I will definitely, I'm very fascinated about anything that has to do with emotions. However, mm. uh, one of the, the key things that I spend time when I work with parents is to get very connected to their own feelings and help children build an emotional language and get them to express it. And then you have amazing things happen. Then you have a child that goes, I feel really jealous that, I mean, a four-year-old saying, I feel really jealous that my three-year-old brother won the award and I didn't. And then you go, oh, all of that would have been locked away in them. And then all of a sudden that, that jealousy would have morphed into anger and the anger would have come in the form of a push. And then all of a sudden the parent sees the push and then now needs to reprimand the child in order to teach them how to behave. When really what the child wanted to say was, mom, dad, I feel sad. I feel sad because I feel like you love my brother more than me because they won the award. And am I still good enough? And do you still love me? That is what's missed if a child can't communicate. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and that right there, that is magic. And that right there sums up why I love what I do. Yeah. Because there's always a conversation that's happening under the conversation. Look at anger. We get all defensive when we see anger. If any time we saw somebody angry, we knew that there's only two things following them. That is either fear or sadness. That's as long as we can get out of our defensiveness and kind of regulate ourselves then that changes the entire game, right? Mm. That changes the entire game. So what are they sad or fearful about that is showing up as anger is a completely different game than why are you angry at me? Mm. That's the interesting question to ask children. Profound. Or ask our partners or ask our friends or ask our, you know, yeah. spouses. Amazing. What is the most challenging thing like in all the work that you do? Like, what is the biggest challenge for you showing up, um, trying to support people with their, the emotional work and the communication? Uh, probably the initial, the initial interactions, because um, when I'm dealing with parents, um, it is very difficult for parents to um, accept that it's them. It really, it's always, it is always the parents. But no parent wants to hear that because it's, uh, listen, parenting can be a temporary form of insanity and you've got balls in the ear and it feels very exhausting to think it's you. It's the most defensive, egotistical place to be in, right? So yeah. uh, the, the parent mates at times, depending on how awake they are, want to um, enforce that it's the child. Now, my job is not to say it's you. My job is to lovingly take them back and clear, um, and to invite them into a different way of seeing the situation mm -hmm. so that they come to that on their own. But that, I think, is the most challenging because once they get that, once they understand that there's something that they are bringing to this interaction that they can optimize, and that, as we, we talked about at the beginning, is a very empowering place to be, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not like you're doing this to me, but I have the ability to now redirect things and, and to change the interactions and build rapport so it changes the whole dynamic that's happening between the child that's an empowering place to be mm, yeah totally. and so parent so uh i would say that that would be it but I after mean, that then it's then it's smooth sailing then it's beautiful <laughs> yeah. and so in uh I, i'm so excited to ask you this question the the utopia like uh, the ideal state of the future for, for parenting and for adults with emotional awareness. What does that look like for you? Um, you know, is it just where we can... So the... Rec yeah, yeah that's a great question. Sorry, don't let me put words in there. <laughs> yeah, the, I, there's no arrival point. There's no I'm sitting on Mount Everest and I'm looking down and I've got there. 
you know? Mm. It is every day you say, I'm going to climb the mountain. And you make three steps up and two steps down. But the difference is every day you say, I want to be on the mountain. Yeah? And I, I can't pretty this up. It's, it's work and it's gorgeous work. It's the best work you're ever going to do because your child's development is going to hang in the balance of your own transformation. So how busy you are going to get at trying to become aware of all of your own crazies and neuroses and whatever, that is actually just like, that's what the child's been put here to do. It's to give you a window into these places, just like your partner. Your partner and your children, no one is ever going to trigger you as much as them. Right? Totally. Um, because they will, because they will, all of your mommy daddy issues, all of your stories that you've created and meanings that were developed since you were young are going to be triggered when you're in the, in the parenting dynamic and, and with your partner. And so now you either go, this is a springboard. This is a trampoline where I get to grow. And then I, then you get to fetishize. Okay. You know, I, I get to learn about myself. I get to be more aware and, and doing so my children are watching. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is not even about, I'm here to impart. I'm here to teach. It's top down. This is, uh, I get to grow and develop. And as I move through the world, the children are watching mummy walk through the world like a queen, not perfect. Yeah. But walk through the world and, and, and then, you know, through that process, you're sharing all your highs and lows and in between. So they understand what it is to live a real authentic life. Yeah. Mm. You're not trying to shield them. You know, I don't believe even in shielding. If you're having a tête-à-tête with your partner, I don't even believe in shielding kids unless it's like a pots or flying type of argument. I think that often kids don't recognize that people can have an argument. Mommy and daddy can have a disagreement, but there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end where we come back together. And if the children only see the beginning and they never see the middle of what we did to get to the part where we're hugging now and kissing, mm-hmm. you're denying your child something really rich and beautiful which is they don't get afraid of loud voices or they don't get afraid of um, you know, tones. They start to understand that, oh, of course they're going to work through this because mm. they're never going to give up. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, and they're willing to fight for something beautiful. Mm. And this is the epiphany that I had as I was going through this. And have you ever felt like that son? Have you ever felt, I mean, this is now you get to do a deep dive into a myriad of different like, um, experiences that the child has even had in, in the playground. Mm. So there's so much richness. I don't believe that there's any, I don't believe there's any bad moments in parenting, actually. I don't care if you even mess everything up because the, the conversations that ensue and the richness of, of discussion that comes from that is, can be epic. And you're almost happy that the infraction happened so you can get to that extraordinary place with your child. Yeah. Amazing. What's coming through is that like, these are your deepest mirrors for you to, to reflect and learn from and, and like, like we're all here to learn and grow at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. So it's like such a, such a deep blessing that this has afforded us. Um, I'm just conscious of the time. So I really want to ask you, um, is there a message uh, in your heart that is just burning to be shared um, beyond what we've already spoken about? Uh well, it probably tails on to what we just spoke about. And that is, uh, especially if there's parents that are listening to this or yeah. would be parents or soon to be parents, that uh, there, there's no perfection. We're here, I mean, really for a blink of an eye, yeah, in time and space. We're like a speck of dust on a speck of dust. And honestly, I find that very, very amazing when I think about it. It doesn't scare me. And I think what else is there to do other than to 
work on ourselves so that we can create the richest, most vibrant, most dynamic, most beautiful relationships. What else is there to do? Right. <laughs> uh, because in the end, um, in the end, that's all that matters. But I get to awaken through that process and I get to have a deeper understanding of other people. And in the short time, you know, a hundred, 120 years, if we're lucky, uh, do the work, know that there's no perfection and just, and just watch how beautiful all that unfolding can be. It's, it's, it's just the best thing. I think that's what we're here to do. So. Oh my God. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I know that was a bit, that was a bit long winded, but that was, that was perfect. That's a, yeah, that's, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, really deep really deep i really i really appreciate you going there um so and i yeah thank you for sharing that thank you for sharing yourself here today with your time and your energy and showing up so so deep thank you so, so much thank you so much for having me this is no, beautiful an absolute treat. I love your energy <laughs> Yo, thank you and just while i'm extending gratitude i i know that you know like rome wasn't built in a day so thank you for all the work that you put into you know yourself and all the work you've you've shared with the world and also your children and your family and your tribe and the space that they hold for you to be able to step into you know doing the work that you do so thank you to all of them and and your past and just wishing you all the best coming forward as well you know um i appreciate that thank you so much just lastly i've got this one question um which i ask everybody um which is by no means the easiest question um it is uh, (laughs) beyond the skin suit beyond the emotional work beyond the name ria um it's esoteric in its nature who are you? I am love. Mm-hmm. I'm love and I'm someone who's looking always to try and see everything, every barrier to love that exists in my life. And so it may not occur to me instantly, but um, that's that's what I'm committed to doing because um, I, that's what I do believe. I believe that life is love. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. You really do embody that. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. And um, just for those that are tuning in that really want to get in touch with, uh, with Ria, what's the best way of doing that? Well, you can always check me out on my website. Um, I have a podcast. Uh, you, you can go to www.buildgreatminds.com. There's always free stuff and blogs and things that uh, are available to you. And yeah, you can always reach out to me. My email's there. Love to talk. Yeah. Yo, thank you so much, Ria. Thank you so much for having me. It was a beautiful experience to be with you today. Such a treat. Keep doing your great work too. <laughs> Promise I will. <laughs> Hey tribe, thanks for tuning in to another fun, enlightening episode of the Inspired Evolution. I've been loving all the feedback and personal stories of love, uh, health and growth. Your feedback and stories are incredibly welcome. The easiest way to connect with me is via my website, which is www.amrit-sandu.com. You can leave me a message or a comment. It's one of my highest values to connect, so I love to connect and love to hear from you. You can also find me on Facebook, Amrit Sandu. And if the content has been resonating with you, you can help the Inspired Evolution out in a big way by liking the YouTube channel, subscribing to the Inspired Evolution, or the Facebook page, like that please, at the Inspired Evolution, or by leaving a review on iTunes if you're on an Apple device. 
And also, if the Inspired Evolution episodes are inspiring an evolution within you, or you can feel the inspiration is valuable for your team to evolve to the next level, you can head on over to www.amret-sandu.com to see how the Inspired Evolution can help you and your team thrive. Much love, tribe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.